0: If you do not have an integrated understanding between manager, fans, players, management, senior leadership- What the footy? What the footy? That will not survive,
1: what footy? What the footy? What the footy? What New liked me, but I didn't know it was to that Imagine extent. being a kid in primary school, now <laughs> it's a Powerful people, and I think they need to recognize that, but then also they need to be represented the right Sporting way. Sport in general is nothing without fans. Uh, based on, you know, source of revenue alone, that being the, CBS. the league. Let's just win this to appease the fan. Welcome to the What The Footy podcast. The podcast takes football fans behind the scenes. Today, I'm joined by a very special guest. He's an investor. He's an ex-commercial analyst at Manchester United. He's a huge Man United fan and a massive football lover. Guys, today I'm joined by Kel Loyal. Thank you for coming to the podcast today.
0: Thanks so much, Paul. Um really, really thrilled to be here.
1: No, definitely. Before we get into, obviously, the segment of the podcast is what the footy are you lying for? So take me away with your uh, two truths, one lie.
0: Well, I think I've, I've thought long and hard about these uh, two truths, one lie. Um, the first one that I'd like you to investigate is that I once met the ex-Aston Villa footballer Thomas Hitzelsberger at Wimbledon. And we spoke about Mervyn King
1: that's number one
0: number two is that I was once in a hotel bad mouthing Team Sky the cycling team unknowingly Dave, Dave Brailsford was at the adjacent table signing I think papers the day before they sold to Ineos that's number two
1: Say, and number three. These are tricky ones.
0: And number three is after hearing about Manchester United's transfer window in the staff bathroom, I failed to seize the opportunity to speak with Richard Arnold and Ed Woodward immediately afterwards as i failed to drive my hands properly. Those are the three.
1: So the last one, you were in the bathroom with Richard Arnold and Ed Woodward and you wanted to ask them about transfers.
0: I I heard about Manchester United transfer activity in the the staff bathroom, but I failed to seize the opportunity afterwards because my hands were not dry properly. (laughs)
1: Um, Thomas... West I used to play for Aston Villa, didn't he? Um Wimbledon. I don't know if you're into your tennis like that. Um oh, these are tricky ones. These are tricky ones as well. To be fair, bad mouthing is something that you do quite a lot of. So I'm gonna I'm gonna go with with that one as a truth. Okay. Um and it's now between um it's the added detail that you put in there that I've got no clue about. Um, so maybe that's just there to throw me off. Um, oh, Jesus. These, I think, are some of the toughest ones you've had so far. Yeah, um, I thought long and hard and about these. The Man United one, you heard about transfers. You were in the staff bathroom. Your hands weren't dry. You weren't obviously going to ask them any questions. I'm going to say maybe that's the truth. That's the truth. Um... Mervyn King Thomas Thomas Wimbledon I'm going to say the team's oh, ah. um I'm going to say the Man United one is a truth the no the team Sky one is a truth the Man United one is a lie and the Thomas Hitzberger one at Wimbledon is a truth. But we'll find out towards the end. We'll find out towards the end.
0: Perfect. Okay, okay. I've, I've locked in your answers now. You've locked
1: in my answers, yeah. Hopefully I, I remember them and don't change them. But um, I thought it was obviously great to get you on the podcast because obviously being an investor, formerly working at Man United, being a huge United fan, I think one key word we usually hear fans say a lot of is this word direction. And knowing the direction that their football club is really moving into. And fans can get very disgruntled with, with how things are playing out. How much do you almost see fans almost not fully understand the situation of what happens behind the scenes? Having obviously worked at Man United and seen seen how the stuff in the boardroom and off the pitch can really affect on the pitch. How how much do fans need to really understand the ins and outs of the commercial and the financial in in almost shaping the club's uh, vision and mission.
0: Yes, I'll answer that kind of from a personal experience point of view and then go into a kind of general point. I think my my personal experience was that back in 2013, I did a short stint at Manchester United. It was really my first proper career experience within a corporate structure, if you like. They have an office in London, outside of Green Park tube station. There they have, it used to be, I think, quite a secret location, but I think not so much anymore. Um, they have about 50, 60 people working there, looking at all sorts of industries for sponsorship opportunities. And going into that experience as a huge United fan, I thought I knew everything about how the club was being run. Because I was not just a fan, I was you know, really a maniacal Manchester United fan. So going in, I thought I knew pretty much everything, but from the moment I arrived, pretty much everything dispelled all the myths that I had about the club. Um, From the way in which people work to the kind of core focuses and competencies that the staff were were really kind of uh, really pinned to, the way in which the decision-making flows throughout the company, the way in which actually the leadership team is relatively few people, I thought it would be a lot more mm. distributed throughout the company, but it's relatively few. It's Matt Judge, it's Ed Woodward, it's Richard Arnold. And I actually was fortunate to observe the live transaction of Shinji Kagawa through my tenure at the club, which was really an eye-opener into how deals are, are essentially done. Yeah. And then from a from a kind of general point of view, I do think fans are increasingly knowledgeable about how football clubs are run, how football clubs are organised and maintained. There's great literature out there, namely from people like Kieran Maguire, people like Swiss Ramble, who really delve into the financial side of football, which I think really sets the parameters for how clubs behave and how clubs work. And I think for me, that's very much the starting point of how to properly analyse a football club. From a fan and grassroots point of view, I think we often let emotions override logical thought processes, and I think that's only a human human tendency. Um, but I think just examining the business environment and context just gives you an idea as to how difficult, for example, transfer deals are to pull off. The number of different stakeholders you need to agree with are more than most other business transactions
1: when it's just product from Bendor mm. to buy no definitely and I think the thing that really frustrates a lot of fans is I almost look at a team like Liverpool and a team like Liverpool where years back under Roy Hodgson and when Kenny Daglish came back into the fold there a club who were almost languishing in around about mid-table weren't really where they should really be and Obviously, FSG came in, acquired them for about £300 million. Uh, back-to-back Champions League finals, just won the league. Probably going to have strong favourites, in my opinion, to win the league again. Now valued at over a billion pounds, doing huge deals with Nike. They've got LeBron involved as well, rocking, rocking the merchandise there as well. You can almost see and understand how fans can easily be disgruntled where they... They don't really obviously see the numbers behind the scenes, but they almost look at it and think, OK, we've just done a huge deal with Nike. We've got all this money coming in from the Champions League. We've got TV revenue coming in from the Premier League. Obviously, now they've gone out there and obviously bought Thiago and Diego Jota. But you can understand how fans can get frustrated in, in these instances, surely? Yeah,
0: absolutely. I mean, I think I'm, I'm a football fan first and I think I analyse things secondly. And what I see with Liverpool is a well integrated structure from decision making at the top, from the ownership through to the leadership team, and how that is implemented in their player or kind of squad management strategy. I would reiterate that that's only one part of the broader strategy piece of a company like Liverpool, in this example, a football club like Liverpool. There are many other levers that you can pull that ultimately dictate the way in which funds can be spent on certain players. Um, I mean, simple kind of accounting tricks are such that player values are amortized over time, but if you sell a player, then you, you can register that on uh, today's or, or next year's uh, account. So that's why you'd often have deals spread over multiple years, but sales recognized in the year in which that player is sold. So, little simple tricks like that can alter the way in which clubs actually do transfer deals. See, it might look like a material loss on paper, but actually, in fact, the club is turning a profit, but just through accounting procedures. Um, I think Robinho is probably one of the better examples of that. Mm. But when Manchester City first signed him and then sold him to AC Milan at a loss, um, or material loss, because the payment for Rabinho was spread over multiple uh, multiple uh, windows, multiple years of accounts, they actually turned uh, an accounting profit, which originally looked like a material loss. The little things like that I think can massively affect the way in which clubs operate. Um, I think fans are, like I said, growing more cognizant of that. I think the information that's available now for fans to really understand that in the inner workings of the club, I think there's a lot more off-heads and deeper analysis done by uh, firms like The Athletic that go a lot, a lot deeper than let's say traditional broadcast media mm. and traditional print media into the world of football. So I think fans are growing a lot more aware of what goes on. But I think the difference between a football club and let's say a business is that many fans don't see a football club as a business. Yeah. They see it as the lifeblood of a community. And I think that's totally different. It it leads you to a totally different mental state when you think of it as the humdrum of a community rather than a kind of bona fide business as such.
1: No, definitely, and, and I almost wanted to ask you on that sort of link there because a couple of weeks back we had the Portsmouth Chief Commercial Officer on there. She sort of spoke about their sort of vision of being a sustainable football club and growing to eventually coming back into the Premier League. I think traditionally a lot of fans have probably seen, obviously, with Man City coming in, with the owners there and, and the owners obviously at PSG and obviously Abramovich at Chelsea pouring huge funds into these football clubs. But we're now seeing a growing trend of clubs trying to be running in a sustainable manner. Owners aren't just throwing checks down. Clubs are relying on TV revenue, sponsorship, merchandise and as well. What's, what's the growing feeling, obviously as a fan as well, and obviously having worked within a football club into into how this almost leads to to clubs achieving their vision, their mission, because someone like myself, I'm an Arsenal fan, and I realise that the Cronkis haven't put a penny into our football club to to invest like Obamovic has done into Chelsea. So we're not going to compete with the Liverpools, the Man Citys, the Chelsea's through that. We're going to have to go the other way and rely on TV revenue money coming in, for us especially getting back into the Champions League what's, what's your feeling in in, in regards to, to how fans look at football because you obviously mentioned that they, they don't see it as a business but how can obviously clubs achieve their vision and their mission but doing it in the right sustainable way
0: yeah I think there's there's often a kind of clear dichotomy between performance on pitch and performance off pitch mm. and that's very much prevalent in the minds of, of a fan. So for me, myself, I, I look at Manchester United off the pitch, a thriving uh, commercial business, all right, severely hit by coronavirus, probably the most hit out of any club given the the total follower base across the world, but equally um, one of the clubs that can insulate from some of the effects of, of COVID-19. Yeah. On the other hand, on the on-the-pitch has been poor for many, many years. Highest place finish since Ferguson is second. So ultimately that's poor in the last seven years that they haven't managed to achieve an on-pitch performance above second and arguably have never challenged for the title ever since. That's had a negligible effect on the commercial draw of the club given the history and background of Manchester United. I think maybe the risk for a club like that is that over time fans like me that grew up with a successful Manchester United are no longer the same fans. So the people who are 10, 11, 12, young teenagers now, they're growing up with Liverpool and Manchester City being successful. Exactly that so, that, yeah. so the key thing about the key thing about a football club and how it's different to many businesses, and it's what uh, what someone called Laurie Pinto, who's a football financier, often says, is that the loyalty of a football fan doesn't really change once you're 9, 10, 11. Yeah. You know, it's kind of set in stone. Yeah. That you don't change your allegiance later on in life. So a little boy or girl that's really interested in football at that age is going to be stuck with pretty much stuck with that club for their whole life and they don't change. So how clubs really tap into that loyalty is actually, I think, fairly still poorly understood i mean in in business terms it would be the lifetime value Mm. of your customer i think in football clubs the lifetime value tends to only really be monetized through merchandise at the moment and through ticket sales hospitality that type of thing but more broadly isn't so they represent still a quite a huge opportunity
1: opportunity there i think i think there, there are ways in which they're slowly improving i think more on the content side and and almost increasing that sort of offering there. I think clubs are becoming more cognizant of the fact that they can do really cool like merchandise collaborations with really cool brands. I think this season, I think for the first season in a long time, clubs have really pushed the boats in terms of the kind of kits that they're producing from a sort of lifestyle perspective. So I guess they are doing that in, in that regard, but there is definitely a lot more that they can do. But one thing I wanted to ask you as well is, obviously speaking about, strategy we're speaking about vision we're speaking about mission and how that aligns with cause i think fans tend to they tend to see more of the vision and the mission of okay in five years time you want to compete for the premier league title in five years time you want to become a stable premier league football club but one thing i really wanted to ask you there is what clubs do you almost look at within english the english game within europe and almost feel this club has got it horribly wrong
0: Oh, I thought you were going to ask the other question because I'd, I'd prepped RB Leipzig or the Red Bull franchise as, as a, a kind of club that's doing it right in in a modern sense. Yeah. Maybe not from a fan perspective. You could say German fans would probably disagree with me on that. Um, clubs that are doing it.
1: We put you on the fire, wouldn't they? <laughs> if you were saying that, I think. Yeah. I think
0: so. I think so. Um, I think clubs that are essentially looking for outsized ambition relative to where they are now. I think I would put West Ham in that category. I think they've always been in that category for many, many years um, because they've always been a a quote-unquote big club or a club that's based on, let's say, their history. But that's not really materially affected their on-the-pitch performance for for, for quite some years now. Um, I think many of the fans are disgruntled with the current ownership. In defence of the ownership, they have invested significant funds and backed uh, many of the managers that have been in place yeah. at West Ham. They've been, they've been, been burnt though. Yeah, by they, they, yeah. they, they have been burnt. You know, they've, they've overspent on people like Aller, people like Paul people like Felipe Anderson. But I think they were stuck between the identity of being a club that was traditionally a big club and always had ambitions of playing attractive football and being in Europe to the reality of where they were, which is uh, probably a David Moyes level club, mm. to be honest. Um, a club that needs to scrap for yeah. points, a club that needs to play a certain type of game in order to win matches and ultimately stay in the division. And I think they flip-flopped a lot between those two tiers. So I would say the clubs that typically don't, don't get it right are the ones that have a clear separation between or an unrealistic separation between where they are now and where they'd like to get to in actually a very, very short space of time. Projects take time. You know, everyone says Rome wasn't built in the day, but it really is true, especially in a football club, because a football club is, uh, in a way, it's a public good. It's affected by perception. It's affected by fan perspective. But equally, it's also affected by macroeconomic conditions um that affect any business so in a way it's a unique asset daniel levy often says you know managing a or running a football club is one of the hardest jobs in business and i tend to do yeah. and and i think just
1: echoing on some of the stuff that you said there I, I definitely do agree with west ham and i think that the sort of missing link there is for me in my opinion is that when we go back to the whole idea of the vision the mission i think they have they've got a strong one Olympic Stadium, 60,000 capacity, based in the heart of East London, a great vision there, wanting to get into Europe, play attractive football. But then the strategy behind that, that's where I think they've almost lacked because the the transfer policy there for, for me, I've never really understood that. And I mentioned it in a previous podcast because on one hand, they're buying young, exciting players. On the other hand, they're buying older, older players there and you don't really understand how that's almost all culminating together and I think it's even exemplified by quite a lot of Western fans who listen to this podcast very very disgruntled at them um, letting go of Grady for £18 million Um, when you really look at it a high quality young player coming through their academy and you almost look at it and say they've kind of really maybe sold him just to really just make a profit because he's obviously come through the academy £18 million Straight, straight in the back pocket. Um, so, I think, I think they're, they're a club who've always really intrigued me about how, how they've always done things. That like I used to really think Everton as well, but we can see see a sort of strategy coming coming into play though of Ancelotti and the kind of caliber of players that, that they're getting uh, there as well. But I think the real missing link, and I think where fans get a bit lost with when they look at direction and where their club is going, I think is is almost having football people within the boardroom who understand the club, understand the values and can help almost bridge the gap between off the field and on the field and I think that's where a lot of Man United fans that I know are generally really disgruntled about having someone there who understands that and I think being an Arsenal fan that was something that I think we lacked for for a long time but having Mikel Arteta within the football club and Eddie there as well I can now finally, after more than 10 years as a fan, see where we're, we're trying to, to to really get to. What's what's your thoughts on, on how Man United are progressing and where you guys are, are trying to get to? And, 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 and does it make sense for you?
0: Um, I think I, I have a slightly different opinion to like the vast majority of fans, uh, Man United fans, anywhere around, the idea of a director of football. Um, I think people have just universally accepted the role of a director of football because it might have worked in one or two instances but I'd probably argue that most people could barely name a director of football in world football um, or or a prominent one anyway so I attest to the fact that it's one of those if you like thankless jobs (laughs) I think if you do really well as a club then people pin everything on having a director of football if you do really badly then or you, you do not exceed expectations or do not meet expectations then everyone pins it on not having direct football. So I think if, if Manu were, were, to, were to get, you know, someone like Luis Campos of, of Lille, somebody that's known to identify and build on, uh, essentially getting in young players before they really uh, become world-class and, and household names, and then looking to uh, use their brand to make Manchester United stronger, then I think that, I mean, it it kind of rings true to the core of, of what Manchester United has stood for, mm. for many, many years. Do I think they absolutely need a director of football? No, personally. Um, many fans would say they need a centre back. I'd argue, not really. They've got one of the best defences in 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 the Premier League, in my opinion. Um, they need more attacking output. So I think um, when it when it comes to a club like Manchester United, we are, if anything in the same problem as West Ham (laughs) but albeit at a slightly higher level in that the -the on-the-pitch performance does not tally with the -the off-the-pitch performance and increasingly I think the two will become more intertwined as brands start to realise the broader value of maybe ROI on sponsoring football clubs than they used to before I think from the playing point of view Manchester United still have a long way to go in order to reach the heights of of Liverpool and City um, and 95 point Premier League Do you know what, is, I, I don't
1: even think it comes down to solely a director of football because I, I was speaking to uh, uh, Dave Bassett, former former manager on, on, on the podcast, and, and he, he was also a director of football and he, and he mentioned there that a lot of people don't understand the role of a director of football, whether that's fans, whether that's even the people who are hiring these people. I think really for me, I've just always seen it as... Someone in any capacity who's involved in the club that understands what that club stands for and the values there. Whether you look at Edwin van der Sar, as CEO of, of Ajax, somebody who lived and breathed the Ajax way. Someone who understands how they want to play football, how they're going to develop young players. Whether that's, um, I can't even pronounce his last name, but Carl, uh, the guy at Bayern Munich. Um whether that's now Ed doing his capacity at Arsenal. I just think someone who is there that can really bridge that gap because the the off the field, off the field and the on the pitch performance, they do, in my opinion, overlap quite a lot in terms of whether, whether you want to look at how a team performs on the pitch is going to really help the financial aspect because I look at someone like Tottenham with the amount of loans they've taken out, obviously to finance the stadium, further loans obviously due to COVID-19, Daniel Levy is now obviously investing more money uh, this summer and obviously last season went to the football club. Tottenham have to get top four for for that investment that he's putting in to almost reap, reap the reward. So I definitely think the two the two are definitely overlapping more and more and intertwining more. And it's just obviously an interesting, yeah.
0: I, I may be throwing a controversial point yeah. there, Paul. I mean... I think one of the one of the things that I look at as analogous to business is that no matter what kind of role you play in a traditional, let's say, corporate organization, you should still have the broader goals of the company yeah. in mind. And I would say football yeah. is one of the few industries where I would say most managers and most players don't necessarily have to think about the way in which the club is operating when they Mm. do their job it's quite unique in that sense whereas I'd argue for most most businesses it doesn't matter where you sit in the organization you have to or you have to be seen to be doing your work with the broader goals of the club in mind Uh, and I think in football often it happens in in isolation you know they you'll hear managers saying that you know that's the director of football's job or that's our chief financial officer's job or that's the CEO's job I'm leaving you know, Daniel to do the negotiations, I'm leaving Matt Judge to do the negotiations etc. Whereas actually I'd, I'd argue that in order for a club to be really at one and in harmony everyone needs to be singing from the same hymn sheet and everyone needs to understand the broader goals of the club um, probably more acute examples are lower down in the football mm. pyramid where at the moment many clubs are in financial distress if you do not have an integrated understanding between players manager and owners that club will not survive ultimately well fa- you could include fans as well fans players management um senior leadership and ownership whereas i think in, in sometimes the, in, in the premier league examples and some of the more mature team examples we don't see uh, as much of that collaboration it's more of a specialization of labor mm. if you like so that's one point I, I would i would like to raise and maybe over time, we might see a different type of football manager come into the uh, sport. We might see one that maybe um, maybe has some of those club directors in mind. Maybe yeah. not a kind of puppet, as the media would like to call them, but someone that's, that's managing and governing their team and, and being a steward of their team with the goals of the club uh, really at the front. At front would you
1: would you not argue that that's sort of happening? For instance, like with Jurgen Klopp, for instance, who recently came out and said that we, mm. we can't do what Chelsea have done and spend £200 million in a singular window. He He's always been cognizant of the fact that he, he can only go out there and, and almost buy players if they sell players. For instance, uh, Coutinho being sold, made room for Van Dijk and Alisson to come through the door. And I've never, ever once heard Jurgen Klopp, like other managers, certain other managers, who come out and complain and, and uh, almost give slight underlying digs to, 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 uh, to the guys in the boardroom. Klopp, I've never heard moan about, we need players, we need this, we need that. So I guess he's definitely, I think managers who manage sustainable football clubs, they, they have to be aligned with the management. And I think Klopp is definitely a good example of that. And I think it works really well for Liverpool. I think Jose is realising that he has to be like that. And I think someone like Jose probably realising and understands that by getting Bell coming in through the door and getting these kind of players coming in uh, through the door, he has to make top four for that, for that to almost balance out there. Um, but yeah, it's now time to review your answers to uh, to what the foot are you lying for, man. Okay. So,
0: so I'll recap. The first one was that I once met Thomas Hitzlsperger and we spoke about Mervyn King. The second one was after hearing Manchester United's transfer activity in the staff bathroom, I failed to seize the opportunity when meeting Richard Arnold and Ed Woodward. And then the last one was... I was uh, in a hotel and uh, bad mouthing Team Sky when Dave Brailsford was unknowingly on an adjacent table signing contracts the day before they sold Team Sky to uh, mm-hmm. Ineos. So the truth is or the truths are Thomas I first I met Thomas we yes. at Wimbledon about right. Mervyn yeah. King. But, The reason why I mentioned Mervyn King and nothing more is that it could have taken on two connotations. For listeners of your podcast that are Darts fans, Mervyn King is also Mm. a Darts player. But in this case, I was referring to Mervyn King, the former governor of the Bank of England. And Thomas Hitzlisberger at the time, and still is, is a well-known fan of economics. And at the time, I was an economics student. So I met him... I think I was the only person that recognised. Yeah, Wimbledon. I said, "Oh, that's Thomas yeah. um, And we had a we had a, a brief conversation about the, the state of the UK economy <laughs> and um, the wow. Bank of England. Um, however, nerdy that is, that that did happen. And the other truth is that no! <laughs> I was in the bathroom of Man United. So the so the truth was yes. Yeah, so, so I heard about Man. United. United's Transfer Activity at the time, it was the year that they signed, uh, I think they they were from Kagawa to yeah. Delaney, something like that, and, um, and I came out and had the opportunity to shake the hands of, of Edward Wood and, and Richard Arnold, but I hadn't dried my hands properly at the time, so it was this kind of awkward moment of, oh, hello, you know, nice to meet you, I'd really like to ask you a few questions, but at the moment, I can't because I didn't dry my hands yeah. properly. So that, that was a, a lesson lesson learned from then on. Um, I was fortunate enough actually to, to also meet David Gill. I was going yeah, to you that story good. actually. Um, and we spoke about his son, Oliver. Uh, we spoke about his son, Oliver, who was studying economics at Durham University at the time. Uh, I was also going to mention the Glazers, but I, I thought that, <laughs> that wasn't interesting enough to, to mention. Um, Yes, and the lie, the lie was the Team Sky one. So I did. It was a slight variant. So yeah. yes. So the the added the added detail was was very much true. It's a variant on a story that that is true, except I was speaking very kindly about their idea of
1: marginal mm. gain. Well, yeah. No, so. no, nah, nah, that's good. But we always like to end the episode with the what the footy question. So, which is what the footy needs to change within your space or what the footy needs to happen? You've obviously alluded to some things there in terms of integrating the strategy of off the uh, the pitch and on the pitch as well. What do you think needs to happen and really change uh, within this space?
0: Yeah, so I think the the one overriding uh, thought for me around football is seeing the fan as a long-term asset to the experience of a football club. I think, as I mentioned earlier, the way in which a fan engages with a football club now isn't the same as let's say gaming as another source of attention. You don't have the opportunity to interact very much actually with a football club outside of games and outside of the social media platform that we all use to interact with games to have a dual screen or, or tri-screen experience with football. I think that needs to change quite dramatically. I think the use of digital will precipitate that change ultimately the use of behind the scenes uh, exclusives and getting opportunities to really understand the inner workings of the football, football club i think amazon prime has done that mm. very well with the all or nothing series um from you know from Sunderland and, and Leeds all the way through to i think Netflix, Netflix, yeah, yeah. But, you know, all of these all of these kind of inner working documentaries on football clubs really help engage the fans with the realities of the day to day and then the last thing would be you know what I what I'm actually working yeah. on which is uh, a vehicle to help celebrities and influencers and in this case footballers invest in early stage startups and early stage businesses start greenfield projects like building their own esports team or investigating ways in which their brand can be expanded in an exciting ways new exciting project and that's something that um, I'm, I'm hoping to share more about in the, in the coming months. Um, but I think ways in which these individuals, footballers specifically, can interact more directly with their fans through new age di- digital technologies. I think from a, a club point of view, I think there's an interesting angle that Manchester United have taken by hiring the ex-founder of sport yeah. to the head of social mm. media. I think that's a really interesting step
1: as to how Manchester United really engages with the new age football fans. No, definitely, man. And loads of exciting stuff there that, that you sort of mentioned there, especially your your members club is going to be coming along. And, and yeah, really excited for that. Hopefully I can get involved in, in, in that as well, man. And um, Kelvin, absolute yes. pleasure having you on the podcast. Investor, entrepreneur, ex-Man United commercial analyst, huge Man United fan thank you for coming to what the footy podcast guys if you loved today's episode not liked it if you loved it then download subscribe rate and review and tell a friend to tell a friend let's go what the footy what the footy what the footy what the footy I knew some other liked me, but I didn't know it was to that extent Imagine being a kid in primary school. Now, it's a pretty <laughs> awesome. Powerful people, and I think they need to recognise that, but then also they need to be represented the right Football. way. sport in general is nothing without fans. Uh,
0: based on you know, one single source of revenue alone,
1: that being so well the TV league Let's just win this to appease the fans.